O God, by the leading of a star, you manifested your only Son to the prophets and peoples of old. Lead us, who know you now, by faith, to your presence, where we may see your glory face to face, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. <clears throat> what, is the, uh, what is the best way for you to learn um, a particular task? If you're, if you're learning to do something, ultimately, you have to do in order to recognize that you've learned it. It's, the doing is the practice, and it's in the doing that you perfect your learning. In order to be competent at this task that you've been assigned, you'll finally have to do it. There's a, uh, <clears throat> a management uh, technique, but I think it's as old as what we're reading today, uh, that is designed to train people and multiply people and send them out to do work. And this could be this could be all kinds of tasks and you do this with your children, you've done this with people, but there's a the systemized way is uh, identified in in five steps. It's I do, you watch, and then we talk. Number 2 is I do, you help, and then we talk. Number 3 is you do, I help, and we talk. So it already transferred that you are doing, I'm helping, and then we're going to talk about it. Then finally, you do, and I watch, and then we talk. So now you're totally independent, and you're going to do it on your own, and then we're still going to talk about it. And then the step five is, you do, and someone else is watching. So the process is going to start all over again, and uh, and the training session has been handed off to that one who had been trained, and, and now they're training others. So... In order to multiply workers, in order to multiply um, people to accomplish the task, that's kind of the design that's been in place. Well, the, this is kind of what we're seeing in this passage and what we have really been seeing all along, that there's kind of an internship going on here. And in, and in, in, in an internship, this, that kind of system provides all these steps in it. So there's a time for learning, there's a time for practicing, there's a time for critique, and then there's a time for true delegating to this individual so that they go and do. The, these uh, apostles um, were being sent out as apprentices of Jesus. And they had watched him and helped him do ministry in times past, and now it was their turn to do so. And this would be an exciting time, I would think, as we've been reading through this, this book of Luke, and we've seen the development, and we're, and we're particularly paying attention a lot to Jesus, but in that we see the reaction and responsibilities of the disciples. A lot of times we put ourselves in the place of the disciples. But this time, this is, this is being handed over to them. They, they've come to this step where they are being sent out and they are going to do. This had to be an exciting time in their ministry. Our lesson today, in this chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, teaches us that Jesus sends his followers with authority and power to spread the news that the kingdom has come. So the first thing we see in verse 1, actually, uh, is Jesus sends with power and authority. Verse 1 says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Now this is pre-resurrection uh, trial run, like to practice ministry. It has similarities to Jesus' final meeting in, um, that we read about in Matthew 
28, 18 through 20, that great commission where he, he called them all together and he commissioned them and he sent them out with his power and authority to accomplish their task. In this precursor, in their maiden voyage here, he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Now, they weren't to use this power and authority for their own purposes. They weren't, this, was not, this was not for them, but they were to carry out Jesus' intent. They were to carry out Jesus' instructions. And that's probably why we're waiting to chapter 9 before they were handed over to this power and authority. You don't give somebody power and authority to carry out your intent until they have been well-grounded and know what that is. And they need to have some maturity in order to handle this power and authority and not abuse. If it were up to them, they wouldn't be able to cast out demons on their own. It is important that we recognize that they were carrying out Jesus' purposes. He gave them what they needed in order to represent him. Now, in order to help us understand a little about the power and authority um, headings, a policeman, for instance, may have authority to stop a gang from taking over a neighborhood. But if this policeman doesn't have backup, he may lack the power to do so. And conversely, the, the gang may have the power to overtake the neighborhood, but certainly they lack the authority to do so. These men, these broken, weak vessels, old fishermen, uh, or former, I should say, fishermen, had authority and power given to them by Jesus to carry out what it is he wanted them to accomplish. <clears throat> Do you remember when you were first exposed to some authority or, or let's say, power? Like, like maybe when you first got your driver's license, you went through all the, all the stuff with people sitting in the car with you and all that, and then finally, at one point, you are going to drive the car by yourself. And now you have the keys and you're able to turn the ignition and you feel the power and you feel that freedom that you're able to go anywhere and do whatever it is you want because now you are in control and you're not no longer in the as a learner, but now you've been given the total permit and you're able to drive everywhere you want. Mo- motorcycles have that same effect, but in a different way. And you feel all kinds of power and then it's like, oh my gosh, uh, this could become very addictive. And it does. Well, this concept of harnessing the power, and, and, when, I, and when I think of that, you know, I, I've ridden horses and they've thrown me and what have you. So I, I understand that even in that there's, there's power, but for me, when I'm imagining what would it be like if you were trying to harness power, uh, when I give people advice about riding motorcycles when they're just starting out, I tell them, if you could ever get to the point where you can control yourself with this power that you have that you're just sitting on, you've only got about 30% of the battle won, maybe 20%, because everybody else is out there to kill you. But, but it's a, the challenging part is what you are, are going to control on your own. Uh, and, and they call those things crotch rockets for a reason. You take those young guys, put them on those things that go very, very fast, and it takes a lot of self-control in order to be able to handle that. Well, as, as, as the adrenaline junkie I am and how much I love that, all this would pale in comparison to the power and authority that these disciples had been given to go by Jesus, where they, he had given them his power and authority to go and do what they were going to do. So what is it that he gave them a power and authority to do? Well, Jesus sends with power and authority. Jesus sends to preach and heal. Verse 2 says, And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. They were to go out into this broken, sin-filled world and tell the good news that the kingdom 
had come, and then invite others into this kingdom. The kingdom which Jesus ushered in is where God's reign and rule comes to rest. Jesus' kingdom comes to bear in the hearts of those who believe. But it's, it's not limited to just the believer's heart. And, and, when, and there's a lot of talk about, like, kingdom. Um, and, and you can, if you're reading much Christian stuff or Christian articles, you'll see references to kingdom. There's kind of a kingdom theology. And some of this is difficult to parse. So the kingdom is not equal to the church, exactly. It's greater than the church. The church, you know, has wheat and tares in the church. Is the church part of the kingdom? Yes, the church is part of the kingdom. But the kingdom is where God's rule and reign is. And so if you're not submitted to him, if you don't believe, then that reign is not in you, and you have not submitted to his reign and rule, his authority. But the kingdom is bigger and greater than the church. Now, there are, there are, there are, there are volumes of books written on, written on how we understand the kingdom. I just wanted to, I just wanted to give you a, a couple of bullets to think on. And where I think it's kind of important is to help us to understand that you, as believers, are, are in the kingdom. The kingdom comes to rest in our hearts. But then when you go out into the world and you do your work in your workplace, the kingdom comes to bear through you in those places. So, the, so is the kingdom down at public debt? Is the kingdom at the hospital? Is the kingdom at the accountant's office? And so on and so on. It is, in this sense, because you are doing kingdom work when you, when you are working as a believer and you work with integrity, you deal honestly, you work faithfully, and you do all this to glorify the Lord in all you do. Then, in that sense, the kingdom comes to bear through you to others. So when we help people who need help, the kingdom, that is called kingdom work. When you're doing your work with integrity and honor and honoring the Lord in that, you're doing kingdom work. So Jesus ushered then the kingdom of God in, as, as he began his ministry. And so now we live in this time in between the inaugurated kingdom, where it was inaugurated, Jesus brought it in, and then we're living in between that and the time of the consummation of the kingdom when Jesus returns. So in short, we call this the already but not yet. It has already come to bear in some sense, but it is not fully recognized. But it has given us a foretaste of what is to come. And so because we have this foretaste, we are able to share with others what this kingdom looks like and invite them in knowing the gracious attributes of our Lord and how he welcomes us in. Theologians will say that in this time, as the, as the kingdom has come, and prior to the consummation of the kingdom, that, you know, what's this story with Satan then? Well, Jesus thwarted Satan, and he opposed him, and Jesus won the victory on the cross. And you say, well, I understand that, but there's still all, a lot of evil and what have you. Well, this is true. And so theologians, in order to explain this, will say that Jesus decidedly won this victory over Satan, and Satan's power has been thwarted, but he still, uh, though, though he was defeated, he still has freedom to reign, but it's though he's on a chain. And, so, and when, I, when I come across that and I read that quote, 
I'm thinking of those vicious dogs on the chain. That if, if, if you were able to get out of their way to the length of their chain, you're going to be okay. Well, the, the, uh, the Lord has thwarted Satan's power, and he can only go so far. So much so that we know that when one comes to faith in Christ, that Jesus has thwarted the power of Satan so that the, the, the believer is now no longer under the dominion of Satan, under the dominion of sin, and he has been moved from that darkness and into this kingdom of light. Each time that Jesus or his disciples cast out demons, they thwarted the power of Satan. Jesus' reign is greater. The message of the kingdom was their purpose, and they also healed. But I think a lot of times we want to read this, and we're anxious for the healing, and we're not putting it into context, that before the healing came, the proclamation of the kingdom came. So this proclamation of the kingdom, the gospel message, the good news, is very important. So what about this healing? Well, the healing, the casting out of demons, the miracles, all these things served a purpose, just like it did with Jesus, and that was to bring validity to the Word. So the Word was preached, and how do we know that this Word is true? There's power and authority given to them. They cast out demons, they they heal those who are sick, and, and this brings to bear this reality that what they're saying is a divine message, and it helps people see in action what they're talking about and what the kingdom of God looks like. Some theologians will say that as, a go- as the gospel is coming into a new land, that this is a very common thing, that the miracles and, and the, those divine acts are prevalent. And then, as time goes by, because they, and those things are giving witness to the, to the validity of God's word, of God's message. And then as time goes by, the church grows, and then the church is to give witness to God's word. The church gives witness to the God's word about it being true because of those transformed lives of the people who make up the church. And the church becomes a witness for him. Verse 3 says, And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Well, this... this uh, passage, given that this is their maiden voyage out, some people assume then this should be a prescriptive passage for those who are sent to share the gospel. Well, this is not a prescriptive passage, and it's, it, it should be easy enough for us to understand that this is not something that's laid down in stone, and this is the way all missionaries are to be sent out for all time. For instance, um, Jesus tells them the opposite later in this same book, and we'll get there. Luke twenty-two thirty-five through 36 says, And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. So there's this understanding that the world's changing and the persecution to them will be greater and they need to be prepared for it. So because of Jesus' own words, we recognize this is not necessarily the prescriptive direction for all people, all times, everywhere when they're being sent out to uh, share the gospel. 
they were to travel light, though, and, and why would that be? There, was, there, there seems to be some sense of urgency that they were sent out. So, you know how it is when you're going to go on a trip, and many of us have traveled over the holidays, and anytime you go anywhere, you got to take the time to load the luggage and take your stuff with you, run through the list and think of all the things you need, take it with you, and then, and then the bad part is you come back, and then those clothes need to be washed, and all that stuff has to get put back. Generally, in our house, it takes a long time for those suitcases to finally go away, back to where they belong, and all the stuff to get back into places. Um, perhaps we're alone in that, but I think it's quite the pain. Well, these guys, they, he's saying, you go. It's like, go now. Don't, don't, don't even go home. Don't pack your bag. Don't worry about that stuff. Just go, and you'll be received. What was the deal with this? Well, I think there was some urgency in getting this message out there. I think that's one reason. I think the main reason is so that they learn to depend on Jesus for everything. Will they be obedient? And I would think, uh, now, now we, of course, we're, re- we're reading this through our own eyes at this time and this stage, and, and I think I probably have on more stuff right now on me than they probably care- owned. Um, when, we, when we saw our friends in Africa, and we sh- showed up with our uh, four gigantic suitcases, now two of those were filled with stuff for them, but it seems like we had still three or something when we came back, so we had a lot of stuff. We stayed in this in that pastor's house, and you're like, well, somebody must have lived here, um, like prior to just the other day, as we like entered country. I'm thinking they probably moved somebody out so we could stay there, and of course, the, that person that moved out probably didn't have all of what we would have had in one bag. Um, so it's it's kind of amazing in what we think of stuff and how it is we think we need to uh, be so heavily loaded, but uh, the, these folks. We're supposed to be traveling light. And then they were going to be depending on Jesus so that whatever he was providing for them and because of his word, they were going to go and follow his directions. They were to be bold and make use, uh, good use of their time. Verse 4 says, And when whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever you do not, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they needed to be about their mission. They, they're, they're in this sense of urgency. They needed to spread the good news of the kingdom because the kingdom had come, and this is part of this revelation. We're um, nearing the high point of Luke's gospel, which we'll hit uh, next week or maybe the week after. Um, but that would really be in Jesus' confession. It's in this reality of who he is. And so... This, he's ready for the kingdom to be revealed. He's ready for him to be revealed. And, it, and, and we've, we've talked about a veiled disclosure that the Gospels have so that he doesn't immediately. That's why he heals and says, go and, and don't tell anybody what happened. Of course they do. But his objective is he doesn't want to be bogged down with a bunch of people coming around wanting healings. And he's not ready to reveal himself and his true identity quite yet. And he has purposes behind that. He's getting closer and closer to this, and so there's this urgency that they spread the gospel. They were to go into a house, and they were to, if they were received, they were to stay there. They're not going to be looking for a better place up or down the road. They were, they, if somebody were going to offer them hospitality, they were to stay there. And then um, they, would, they would not be uh, taking up time looking for this better place or trying to move whatever it is that they were carrying to uh, the next place, they were going to just simply stay and get on with the task at hand, which is to preach that the kingdom had come and heal. But if they weren't welcomed, 
they were to shake the dust off their sandals, which this is an act of judgment against those people. And, 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 and we always, you know, we, we, we want to think of all the good things and, um, you know, God is love, Jesus is nice, he looks like Kenny Loggins. We all know this, you know, his picture's in here somewhere. Um, we have these thoughts that everything's just nice and sweet. And then especially th- like through Christmas, everything's nice and sweet. But this, is, this becomes a heavy uh, command on these disciples. And, and I think that we have much to learn here as well. Because there's urgency, he didn't really need them to spend time arguing or trying to convince those who would not show them hospitality of how good Jesus was, how nice he was, the love he had for them, or the good of the kingdom. If they weren't going to welcome them, he says, shake, shake the dust off your sandals. This is an act of judgment on them. Since they were representing Christ, if the disciples were being rejected, it was not them that was being rejected, but Christ and his message. I think that this can be a help to us in the sense that as we at the church, we have the same message today. We, we are to provide uh, a message to people, an invitation into the kingdom, coming out of this sin-filled, broken world, coming into the kingdom and receiving healing. The striking thing about this account is that how little the people took with them, and the reality is, is how little we need in order to share the gospel with others. And, 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 I, and this comes, as I think, in this time, um, th- this is not an epiphany passage. Um, this is a passage that we happen to be back on track of going through the book of Luke, but in the sense that we've just come through Christmas time, and as consumed with consumerism as we are, I think it's interesting to have this um, contrast in front of us. In order to carry out this, this task, of spreading the kingdom and telling others about the kingdom, it's surprisingly uh, light how, how these disciples traveled. And out of coming, coming through our Christmas season, where perhaps we were concerned with so much stuff, when we, when we boil it all down, what is it we need in order to share the good news of the kingdom? What is it we need to carry out our mission? I don't think that we need that much stuff. Though this passage is not this prescriptive, Um, word for all times, all peoples, all places, there are still truths in it that we need. Um, And and, and one of those truths is is what they did with uh, those who didn't receive them. And that reality, if if you're talking with your your friend or your your, uh, co-workers or your uh, relatives and you get nowhere, there's, there's a sense in which a time comes where I think you need to shake the dust off your sandals. Now, the reality is, is they could come to Christ any time between here and the time they, they die. Now, I, I do know that. But there's, a, there's an urgency still to this, and, and this is not the only place we see it. We see it throughout. There's an urgency to uh, you know, choose this day whom you will serve. And when, you know, when it comes to family members, I think that we're put in positions of sometimes our best witness to them will simply be our witness by how we live our faith as opposed to preaching to them. I mean, let's not, make, let's not make the mistake and think that that's the only thing. Ultimately, they need, need, need to hear the true gospel. But we can only do so much. And then in order to not alienate them, perhaps we just need to live according to our beliefs and have that be our witness to them so we don't alienate them. By the same token, there are people who might take up your time 
and uh, act as if they're interested, but they're not coming to faith, and they really have no uh, hospitality to offer you. And they're, they, they, in that case, I think we need to be comfortable in kind of shaking the dust off. And, 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 it's, and, and in its pronouncing judgment, I don't think it's the exact same. It's just that in that sense, you're saying, okay, you are on your own, and, and I, I got to go away, and I got to go share with somebody else. And so it, it, I think it helps us bring a closure to some of those relationships where people, where our hearts are burdened for them. But it gives us a reason, and I think a valid reason, to say, okay, I'm done. I walk away. And then because the Lord is sovereign, if the Lord wants this person to be redeemed, uh, he will send another messenger. He will, he will somehow shatter that person's heart, uh, the hardness of their heart, so that they come to a point and perhaps it's then that they call you and say, hey, I want, I want to hear more about that. But the idea that to, you walk away and move on because there are other people who need to be invited into the kingdom, I think is just very real. If we could imagine in a neighborhood, you're inviting people into this fantastic party uh, that's going, going to be warm and welcoming. And, you know, what, it, 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 let, let's make it even more drastic that everybody in the neighborhood's power is off and there had been a great big storm come. You're inviting them into a warm, welcoming party, a place that's nice and comfortable for safety purposes. <clears throat> and, but the whole neighborhood needs to be invited and, and you're, you're feeling an urgency to get to the next house. This person's arguing with you about, and this, you've seen these stories on, about the floods. You know, no, I'll stay, no, I'll stay, no, I'll stay. All right, you got to stay, you got to do whatever you want. Now you got to get on over to, you know, Miss Ellie's house so you can ask her so that she can come in. These people need to be invited in. And, you, and, and your, the urgency you feel is the, the overwhelming number of people who need the invitation. So we don't want to get hung up on those who are refusing uh, or those who want to distract us from our mission. Finally, where Jesus sends in power and authority and he sends us to preach and heal, the message, when proclaimed properly, the, the message prompts a question. The message should prompt a question. And I think, these, I, th- I think those headings are still, those are true for us. I think those are the true things that are it's true for all of us, all times, all places, that Jesus sends with power and authority. Jesus sends to, for us to preach and heal. And then when those things are done, the message prompts a question. Look with me in verse 7. It says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all the things that were happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. So Herod's beginning to question. He's, he's hearing of the, the, the murmur of, of what's going on. And he began to question whether Jesus was John the Baptist resurrected or one of the old prophets have, had come back to life. The message of the kingdom and, these, and those mighty acts were drawing attention from Herod, but not only Herod, but the people of the land, to this one particular question, which is, who is Jesus? When John was alive, Herod was interested in questions of morality or John's eccentric prophetic ways. Now, at this point, Herod's more interested in the question of who is Jesus. So, 
in our analogy, the people that are maybe taking up your time at the door, they may be, they may be interested in uh, all these sideline issues. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? What do you think about this? And, and you're just, you, want, you finally want to get them to understanding who Jesus is. Because that, this is what the warm and the, the safe party is all about, is who, it's answering the question of who Jesus is. Come, taste and see the Lord's good. Come and experience him. The message that we preach, it should provoke the same question. Who is Jesus? Apostolic preaching directed the listeners to the person of Christ. Ours should do the same. We, we are not to proclaim a gospel that is such a thing as come to Jesus and become a better parent. Come to Jesus and have a better marriage. Come to Jesus and achieve wealth and happiness, satisfaction in, in, in worldly manners. Our gospel is not come to Jesus and identify your Goliaths in your life. Now, some of these things may be true, coming to Jesus, living for him, understanding who he is in the person of Christ, and through your surrender to him, and as he is your Lord, you may then have a better marriage. But that's not the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is who is Jesus. It should be directing people to the person of Christ. And the question we must ask is, is our preaching, is our, is our conversing, as we're talking with friends and neighbors, are we talking about getting better? Or are we talking about Jesus? It's so tempting for us to talk about us getting better. Or, you know, if, you're, if, if, if you get good at this, what's really nice is for you to be telling that person you're talking to how they can get better. Come to Jesus and you'll get better. Come to Jesus. And, 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 and we can sell the gospel to, a play, to, to the point of, if you come to Jesus, your life will be trouble-free and your tri- troubles will go away. That's not the gospel. The gospel will point people to Christ and in living for him, might their life get better? It might. Might life be easier to live if we were living according to God's commands? It might. We also live in a sin-filled world, a broken world, where we are subject to not only our own sins and our own temptations, but we're also subject to other people's sins. And so I say it might. And I, and I, think, there's, I think there's actually uh, proof that can be demonstrated that if one took just the Proverbs and it kind of like lived by the Proverbs, you'd live a better, meaning moralistic, getting along with people, life. But ultimately, it's in the safety of this kingdom is where the person needs to be. And without knowing the person of Christ, there's no entering in. Our message, if it's pointing people to Christ, will show his superiority over all those other things that we and the person we're talking to have already made as gods or idols and, and replaced him with. Verse 6 says, And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. May you go and do likewise. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.